Welcome to Within Us. Within Us is here to further your well-being, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. This is your place for the transformational tools and strategies to tap into mindfulness, emotional awareness, and well-being for the collective. My name is Azriella Jankovic, and I am so glad that you're here. Today is April 29th, 2020, and we are still living in unprecedented times. On a global level, we're seeing some improvements in certain places, and we're seeing a lot of really uncomfortable situations elsewhere. And as I'm personally witnessing this, it's really bringing up a host of different emotions within me all at once, even. And I'll tell you that today was here in Israel, it's Independence Day, and it's usually a really joyful day. It's the day that Israel declared independence from the British, and Israel's 72 years old today, 72 years young, and this country was founded on a dream, a dream of living free, a dream of coming together to create and collectively better the world. And I feel so grateful and privileged that those things are happening. And it's an honor to be here. This is our fifth year living here as a family. And there's no place else I would rather be. Today is also the birthday of my beloved dear aunt who left this world several years back. And she is greatly missed. And she had the biggest heart. She never had children of her own, so in a certain way, she was like a parental figure for me. I have incredible parents, but we had a a really special relationship. I have a picture sitting here next to my desk of my aunt, and she really is for me that special person who I feel like is always watching over me, and she was just such a thoughtful person. She was always sending cards and she'd remember everyone's birthdays and all the holidays and when I was a kid she used to send me these cards full of confetti and when I would open them the confetti would go all over and it was just an automatic smile whether I was opening a card from her or whether she was coming around and that is something that I intend to bring into this world a little bit more wherever I can. It's the end of the month you know today actually last night on the dawn of Yom Ha'atzmaut this Independence Day here, I received a note from a good friend of mine who told me that where this friend is living, there's no food, there are no jobs, everyone's in quarantine, this, this, the city is closed, and the government is doing nothing to help. And when I received that message, I was really devastated. Actually, I felt devastated And of course I wanted to help this person. And I asked if I could be helpful, if I could, you know, try to put some money together to help with food. And what I learned was that this friend lives in Bethlehem, which is governed by the Palestinian Authority. They're really our neighbors here. They're just, you know, miles away. And unfortunately their government's not helping. And they're unable to receive money from an Israeli bank account because there could be a trail. 
They do not have PayPal. They do not have any of the payment applications that we have. And so therefore it's incredibly difficult to get money from this side of the border to that side of the border. And I found that to be really upsetting. I researched it, I looked into it, I asked around. There is an option to do Western Union at the post office, but that just seems like a lot um, and it just shouldn't have to be that hard. So I'm bringing this up and I'm sharing this with you because I am going to be a point person in a really wonderful initiative called The Pandemic of Love. And my podcast guest a few episodes ago, her name is Shelly Tagielski. She's Mindful Skater Girl on Instagram. She is really a mover and a shaker in the mindfulness movement. She has all sorts of incredible meditation and mindfulness gatherings and trips. And she brings unlikely meditators together in really interesting spaces. She does them weekly on the beach in Florida. She's right now doing the meditation gatherings online because of the situation that we're in. She does really good work. And after I met with her, she was here in Israel for our interview. And when she went home, this whole thing started and she started getting requests from people in her community, just like the one I got from my friend today saying, you know, what do I do? I don't have food. Little by little, more people started losing jobs. And then she was also being approached by people who expressed their gratitude that they they did have work at this time and yet felt so helpless and what could they do to help? And so she started this initiative of just matching people. Really simple, people in need get matched with people who are able to give. And I think the average transaction size is about $135. And over the last six weeks, there have been $5 million that have passed through this effort with $0 overhead. And last week, Joe Biden called her up to thank her and she picked up the phone and they had this conversation in her living room. And I was watching and just thinking to myself, you know, this is the power of one person, one person, one person tells two friends, those two friends tell two friends and you do the math and pretty quickly you have a viral effort. So I was in touch with Shelly and I want to bring this effort over here to Israel. I think that if this isn't going on yet in your community and you think you could be a point person, I am open. You can reach out to me. Just send me an email, ozzy.jank at gmail. You can also reach me on my website, drozzy.co. Leave me a note and let me know that you want to help. And you can also let me know if you need help. And I'm going to start trying to organize that. So I'm really excited. I put out the word here in Israel and right away I got seven volunteers who are going to be helping to make the matches. And this is just the beginning. So I'm really, really hope I'm really hopeful. And you know, we we all feel better when we all feel better. So that's my spiel. Moving on to my guest for today, my friends, this guest is so incredible. You know, I could say that he's smart, he has a law degree, he's an ordained rabbi, he's written six books, and he's an all-around wonderful person, but really his smarts transcend. They, They are in the category of wisdom because Dave Mason is so humble. He and his wife, Hannah, are so humble, and they are out to do good in this world. They are lights in this world, 
and they want to serve, they want to help, and it is an honor and a joy to call them my friends. Hannah has been in my masterminding group for the last six months, and I've been watching her soar with all the programs she's doing. You can also hear her on one of my past episodes. It was a staff pick on Inside Timer. People are loving it. It's all about thought tools. And in any case, she mentioned to me a few weeks ago, maybe it's a few months ago now, she said to me that their novel, Hannah and Dave wrote a novel together, and their novel is all about a mastermind. And it has been getting feedback from teens, from adults. If you are remotely into novels, you're going to love it. And what I love about it so much is that it's a novel that teaches. It has takeaways, it has lessons, and it also has practical application. So you are going to receive a link to download this book for free. When you're done listening to the show, you can also click on the link in the show notes and you can get your own free copy of this book. Dave is going to come on. He is going to dive into the book, The Size of Your Dreams. And Dave's a social entrepreneur, a lawyer, a rabbi, curious soul. He's traveled through 20 countries. He worked as an environmental litigator. And today he and his family live in the city of Jerusalem. He has all types of books, most recently a book about money called The Cash Machine. Today, when we talk about the size of your dreams, you know, this is a personal growth book, but it's not your average book because it asks the following question. What if you could transform your life, your health, your self-image in just five minutes per day? What if you could learn all of that while being engrossed in a story? This story is about the transformational year in the lives of its characters as they manifest the seemingly impossible. This book teaches tools to manifest dreams. All right, before I bring Dave on, I want you to know that my masterminds are relaunching the very first week in May. If you want to get in on this personal growth, whether it's in your business, in your relationships, in your self-care, if you see yourself somewhere else in three months, three years from now, and you could use some support along the way, I am here for you. My groups are here for you. So be in touch with me. You're going to have a link in the show notes. You can visit drozzy.co and let me know you're interested because this is happening. This is starting now. These groups open three times a year and I'd love for you to get in if you are ready to be embraced. Dave Mason is going to teach you so much about masterminding. He has so much wisdom and I'm going to be implementing some of these tools in my own groups. So I'm really grateful for Dave and what he brings. Enjoy the episode and I will see you on the other side. And now I present to you Dave Mason, author of The Size of Your Dreams. I remember a, a time sitting around in college, watching the movie Dazed and Confused with a bunch of friends. I, I lived in, in this house in college that was called the Living Learning House. It was kind of a geekier crowd, very academically oriented people. 
And I remember going around after this movie and people talking about the hazing they went through, the difficulties they went through, and all of the various struggles for identity. And it was one of those kind of aha moments for me because I was so into my own struggles, so absorbed with my own struggles, that I really failed to see how many people around me were struggling with the same things. And so I really put that into Kelvin. Kelvin in the book goes through that entire exact same process of he feels bad for himself being this kind of looks at himself as a loser, looks at himself as not being very popular. He wants to be well-liked. He wants to have girlfriends. He wants to have all those things that he looks and admires from other people. But he actually is struggling with a lot of the same things that other people are struggling with, but he can't see. He's got no empathy for those around him because he's so, he's so into his own self-pity and his own struggles over, over that. He doesn't have a lot of self-love. He doesn't appreciate who he is or what he has to give. He doesn't realize that he actually has a tremendous amount out there to give. He's so into looking at status, popularity, where do I fit in, that he actually blows off the people who actually do want to connect with him because they're not cool enough and he wants to be cool. He wants to be liked. He wants to be appreciated, but he can't appreciate anyone else. And he really goes through this whole process of having to look at himself and identify himself and understand who he is. And that actually opens things up for him. Once he does that, he's able to see other people for what they're going through. And his whole perception, not just of himself changes, but of the world changes. He's able to see himself for the first time. He's able to see himself for the first time. And once he can see himself for the first time and they appreciate himself really for the first time, he's then able to see others. You know, he was at a certain point, he's going on a walk with his sister, Megan, his little sister. And comes out that she hadn't realized how unpopular he was or how out he was in, in middle school. She looked, looked up to him as her, as her big brother. And he's like, where was she? Was she so out to lunch that she couldn't, see all the struggles I was going through? And then he stops and thinks and says, well, wait a second, that's ridiculous. She was a little kid at the time. Of course she couldn't see that. But where am I? Here it is. She's telling me that her, the girls who used to be her best friends are having a sleepover and she wasn't invited. And she's actually really struggling. I can be there for her. How come I didn't notice that she was struggling? I was so involved in my own struggles that I didn't notice that my little sister it's really all alone and going through difficult times herself. And only once he starts to, to love himself and appreciate himself does he start to see where other people are struggling and how he can step in and help them. This is so powerful. It's, it's so powerful and, and understanding the brain science of even shifting out of these self-defeating beliefs, this cycle of stress, and then being open to possibility and You've, you've nailed it. You've just really nailed it in the sense that it all boils down to learning to appreciate ourselves and learning to serve. What an incredible model. Now, is that something that you, I mean, was that a moment for you in real life that, that you had such a powerful shift? I'm trying to think if I can make it into a moment. I, I know moment is coming up for me, but definitely, definitely that shift happened. And in the book, you know, a shift uh, that took, took decades for me, you know, takes place in, in months for the, for, the, for the characters. How incredible. And how incredible that there's this model now that one can look at 
and really see it, see how it's done. Because the work, I mean, without that model, it's, it's, it's a painful process. It can be. It can be. It can be. I feel you on that. I really feel you on that. I oftentimes think about, you know, if I could go back to being that age, what would I have needed to hear? What would I have needed to hear? So I am looking at this beautiful book right now and all over the front, it is filled with cards. Let me take a moment now and talk about a card. If I'm going to make a card for myself, how do I get started with that, Dave? Okay, so we teach three kinds of cards in the, in the book. The, one of them is the outcome card. And the outcome card is probably the one I encourage most people to start with. It's really the, the simplest in a lot of ways. And it's got three components to it. So like my selling my house was an outcome card. And the three components are the goal you're going to achieve, your intent you hope to achieve, the date you hope to reach it by, and the steps you will take to accomplish it. And that's really all there is to it, is the goal, the steps, the, the goal, the date, and the steps. What makes it so powerful is its repetition. You don't make a card and put it to the side. You go over it constantly. So I recommend at least three times a day. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, and at least once in the middle of the day. Some people like to put them up on their bathroom mirrors. So when they, you know, you go to the bathroom first thing when you wake up, you, you go to the bathroom last thing before you go to bed. So it's, it's right there, right before, after you brush your teeth, it's right there where you can see it, where you, where you can't ignore it. But it's the constantly being, bringing yourself back to that focus that really makes it powerful. You know, I find if I'm not doing what a card says, I can't continue reading it. I make a card for myself and I say, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. If I don't do it, I just have to rip the card up or throw it away. I just, I can't face it if I'm reading it three times a day and I'm not actually engaging in it. In fact, one of the characters in the book does this, the character Jared, who's basically given up on school, just trying to graduate and get his degree, has no interest in doing another stupid teacher, teacher thing. When he's forced to do a card as part of this class, he reads it because he committed to reading it, but he never committed to following any steps. And he's just determined, okay, I'm just going to, I'll read it three times a day because I committed to it and the teacher will fail me otherwise, but I'm not going to do anything with it. But as he keeps reading it, it enters into a place where deep inside him, he says, you know what? I started to realize like these weren't the teacher's goals. These were my goals. Why am I blowing this off? Why am I not actually doing the things to implement in my life the things that I want? And so after a couple of weeks, he's gotten to the point of saying, okay, you know what? I'm sick of just blowing this off and ignoring it. I've been reading it three times a day and I actually want to start doing it. I want to start engaging. I see the impact that the other students are having in their lives and I want that in mind too. Well, it makes so, so much sense that our intention is going to move where our attention is going and really putting it up on the wall and having a look at it, you know, on the mirror, on the wall, in a prominent place three times a day, we're really shifting our attention and our intention and then our actions onto this, this goal, whatever it is. So this is the first one. This is the outcome goal. Yes. Okay. The outcome card. The second type of card we teach is what we call the continual growth card. So there are certain, certain goals in life that are not really measurable, manageable. You, you can't say, I'm going to be healthy by January 2nd and assume that, that 
that means you're going to be healthy for life. You know, health is something you're going to be continually working on. It's not a goal that you, you hit, you check off, and now you can eat whatever you want. I got healthy by January 2nd. Now I can eat as much ice cream as I want. Your health's going to go right down the toilet again. So there are certain areas of our lives where we want to continually be growing. And so whereas on a goal card, the step, you know, the goal and the date, those things have to be very manageable. Have to, excuse me, have to be very measurable. You have to have a very clear measurement for when you've achieved them. You, have, you know when you've reached the goal card. A continual growth card you will never reach. I want to continually grow in my ability to be present, to have empathy for people, to be healthy. There's, I want to continually grow as a writer. There's so many areas I want to continually grow in. So it doesn't fit the model of having this goal that you're going to hit by a date. So instead of the goals itself being measurable and having a date, the steps do. So you, you say, I want to continually grow in this area in my life. And to do so, I will do X, Y, Z. So if I want to continually grow as a writer, well, what are the things I can do? I can make sure that I'm writing every single day. If that's a step or five days a week, whatever it happens to be that I, you know, read a book on writing at least once a month. I take at least three times a year, a course on writing, whatever it happens to be that I think are the steps that will help me. I want to have measurable steps in a continual growth card. The steps don't have to be as measurable in a, in a goal card. It kind of shifts where the specific measurable aspect is. So these are areas you just want to grow in over and over and over again. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense in terms of goal science and how, how goals work. So that is excellent. The continual growth card. I love it. And you mentioned there's a third. The third is the identity card. And we discussed that a bit earlier when Kelvin was talking about getting to, getting to love himself. And this was a card that is, is very different. It's a, a lot of this, the other cards were taken a, more from, say, Napoleon Hill. The inspiration for the, continual, for the identity card was taken more from Louise Hay, from her aspect of mirror work, that and a bit from Tony Robbins, from some of the, the things I learned about him, about labeling yourself, putting a really positive uh, nickname to yourself. And this is all about being able to like, look at yourself. The identity card is like red, looking in the mirror, and like you literally look at yourself, you say your name, you say, you know, I'd say, you know, Dave, I love you. And like you are, and I say all these incredible things about myself and I have to find examples for them. So in the book, Kelvin has the hardest time doing this. And he has to think like, what does he want to be? He's like, okay, well, I want it to be funny. He wants to be, uh, he wants all these different traits. He wants to be, well, really what he wants to be is well liked at a certain point. You know, he, when he's first starting that, he's, he's saying he's popular. And the teacher stops him right there and says, no, 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 no. That's a goal on somebody else. Popular is not a trait in you. It's a trait that's how other people see you. What are the things that you want to see within yourself? Within yourself. It, I love it. And so he has to look at these things. And he creates fun nicknames for each of the different traits that he wants to see in himself. And he then has to think of examples. Well, how have I actually exhibited this trait in my life? And if we think about it, we can, we can always find that. If I want to say I'm dependable, we're all dependable to a certain degree. We're all de not dependable to, to a certain degree. But if you look at yourself as not being dependable, you could look at yourself and say, okay, I am total, Dave, I love you, and you are dependable. In fact, you're so dependable, as we, another character in the book says, you know, you're called the rock. You know, you're, that's how you look at yourself. And here are the examples. Well, how do people... How do you, I know that I'm dependable? What have I done to, that's dependable lately? And you lift off examples. So you think about all these traits you want to see in yourself. You give them kind of a fun name that goes with them. And each time you read off the card, 
as opposed to the other cards where each time you read it off is more or less the same thing, except you need to make a change. When you do the identity card, each time you read it off, you have to think of new examples that back up the identity you're trying to anchor in. This is so beautiful because it really shifts out of default mode, which is if, if one is in default mode, right? If I'm in default mode, I'm scanning the world for threats and I'm really looking for the negative and the negative, negativity bias comes in. But what you're saying is, no, we're going to shift and we're going to latch onto those parts of ourselves, those traits within us that we want to blossom and that we want to grow in this world. And by giving ourselves evidence, we're proving to ourselves who we are in this new way. And that's powerful. And I, I'm really curious about this idea that, so every time, if I were to say, Dave, I'm, I'm going to look in the mirror every morning. I'm going to say, Azriella, I love you. You are a kind-hearted person. And then I'm going to find evidence every day yes. that I'm a kind person. And one more step. If you can give a kind-hearted person is nice language, but can you find language that really speaks to you even more, that really gets you, you know, jolted? In fact, you're so, you're so kind-hearted, you're called... So and so, what would be like well, a name, they, a nickname? So my English name is Carrie, and that's what I was called before I was about twenty years old and started using my Hebrew name. And when I was a kid, they called me Care Bear because you go. I valued, and I, I guess it was sort of ingrained in me to really value kindness. There you go. So Azriella, you're a kind-hearted person. In fact, you're so kind. You're a Care Bear. Yes. <laughs> and what have you done lately that shows you're kind-hearted? It's each day, think of things that you've done that help enforce that. And just your ability to see yourself as kind is going to go absolutely through the roof. I love that so, so much. This is incredible. I love these. And you know, the one thing that I think is also so key with this book and something that's, that's really never been more obvious to me, Dave, you know, as much as I studied relationships when I was getting a doctorate, I have never been more convinced than I am right now in the times that we're in, in these times of Corona, that we are wired for connection and that we can help each other so much. And that's in your book too. There's really, this isn't about one guy writing a card and going it alone. There is something beyond that as well. Can you speak to that a little bit, that this power of the, the group and the power of collaborating? Absolutely. So this also goes back to Napoleon Hill. He actually talks about from all the different factors he looks at that can help make somebody successful, powerful, impactful. He says the number one is the mastermind group. And the mastermind group is really the ability to draw expertise from others. Now, I want to make a little bit of a distinction in the way that we tend to use the phrase these days and the way he used it, which are not exactly the same thing. So I tend to think of three different types of mastermind groups. One of them I'd call like a mutual group. We have another couple that my wife and I would go, pre-corona, would go have lunch with once a week. We'd alternate who hosted it. And this other couple, they had strengths that we really felt complemented our own. And so we'd have like a two-hour lunch every week. And we'd all kind of go through what we were working on. And the others would give us feedback and suggestions. And we'd help each other out. We were all sort of equal partners in that group. And we were drawing on expertise outside of ourselves to help each other get better. So that's what I'd call a mutual mastermind group. And what a great idea. Yeah. That just sounds like so much fun to get together with the same couple every week. I'm going to try that. 
it was great. And you can do it with a group of friends. It doesn't have to be couples. You can, other people, you want to find people that you think, if I was to bring out what I'm struggling with, they're going to have a perspective that I wouldn't hear elsewhere. You want to have a mastermind with people who are much more insightful than, than you. In fact, there's a great story in a book called The Aladdin Factor. The Aladdin Factor is um, by the two guys who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. And they, at a certain point, talked to Tony Robbins. So Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, they wrote The Aladdin Factor. And they talked to Tony Robbins at a certain point. And they said, Tony, we don't get this. We do the exact same work you do, but we're each making about a million dollars a year. And you're making $10 million a year. This is a long time ago, back when Tony was only making $10 million a year. And say, why is it? Why are you making 10 times what we are? And Tony looks back at them and he says, well, tell me, how much do the people in your mastermind group make? And they respond, also about a million dollars a year. He says, that's the reason. The people in my mastermind group each make $100 million a year or more. You know, Tony was was saying that I've put together a group of people who are so much higher than I am, who are really pulling me upwards. He says, you're not going to exceed the level of the people in your mastermind group. So as you grow, make sure that you're with people who are growing with you or might even want to be challenging yourself to be pulling in people who are at a level higher than you. you know, it's, it's I love thing. that. You know, Dave, that's just, it's so brilliant and it's so wise. And it reminds me of the ancient Jewish texts, it is better to be the tail of a lion than it is to be the head of a fish. This book is published through my personal press, Lion's Tail Press. Love it. The, the, my, my, my corporation is called Tale of the Lion Incorporated, taken from that, that mission on Pirkei Avot. So yes, I absolutely know that that idea, it is a big one. It is a big one in my life. So you want to think a lot about who your mastermind partners are. Now, I'm very big into this idea, like I, I remember sharing this at a group, at a table at a certain point, and somebody getting very upset and saying, it's like, oh, so you're just going to like chase those who are, you know, at a higher level and everyone else can go, you know, forget about them. And I was very clear, like, no, no, no. It's so important for me that I have three different levels of interactions in my life. I've got the people who I think are at a similar level than I am. That's kind of my mastermind group, my peers. I've got mentors that I can tap into. And so I will go and attend Tony Robbins events. And I've been on the volunteer crew at some of his events. And I have other people like that who I think are at such a higher level than I am. And I want to be tapping into them to be getting guidance. And I've got the people that I teach and that I'm trying to be reaching at their certain point. Now, what I don't want to be doing is confusing which group people belong in. Take somebody who's at a you know, very introductory level and say this person is going to be my mentor or even my mastermind partner. You know, if they're somebody who wants to be tapping in, they might be you know, a pupil. So I, I have to understand, like, I need to be going and seeking out who are the people that I know who I think I can grow from and building, intentionally building those connections. Like when my wife and I did this, we looked around at all of our friends and we said, who are the ones who can challenge us in the areas we most need to grow? And that's how we settled on this one couple that we approached and asked them to be our mastermind partners. And they fortunately looked at us as being the same in different aspects that we could help them as well. So that's interesting. And I think you're really tapping into how dynamic each one of us are 
and how while I might have a mentor who's ahead of me in business, perhaps I became a parent many years before she did and I have expertise in that area of my life that I can share with her. Or perhaps it's my creative abilities or, you know, I think there are so many different parts of who we are that while someone might be ahead in one place, we have what to offer somewhere else. So I want to make sure that anyone listening to this right now, that you're not underestimating that about yourself. You always have assets that you can give and you can share. And so the first type of mastermind group, like I said, is a mutual group. Mutual group. Kind of okay. Equal partners. The second type is the one I know that you've started running lately and my wife has been participating in with you is, is a facilitator group where a facilitator group is one. That's really what we have in the size of your dreams as well. You've got the students in the classroom and the teacher who's teaching this concept to the class. He is the mastermind facilitator. He's somebody with a certain amount of expertise guiding a group of people who are all really a mutual group for one another. So there are a lot of mastermind groups out there that people can join, which has somebody who's been more experienced at mastermind groups than they are, who has a bunch of techniques they can be bringing in and can be giving things to the group that they might not be able to give to one another, that they might lack in that expertise, but the person can trigger them. He can help bring out the best ideas. She can ask, you know, the right question to, to help promote certain type of thinking or given exercise. These are types of, this is a facilitator group where you've got one person who's bringing something to the group. It's a leadership aspect. A mutual group has no leadership, usually. A facilitator group has a leader and then has participants, has a mutual group. I love that. You know, I actually fell into doing this sort of by accident that I tried to create a mutual group, but I started feeling as though people were turning to me to facilitate. And then it turned into a facilitated group, which is what I'm now offering. Awesome. Now I want to touch on the last type of mastermind group. And this one, we don't tend to think of as a mastermind group, but this is really the original type of mastermind group that Napoleon Hill was discussing in Think and Grow Rich. And these days we, we much more likely to give it an entirely different name, like a board of advisors. In the original idea of a mastermind group, it was not a bunch of people sitting around helping one another. Now, the example that Napoleon Hill gives in his, in his book, he gives a really funny story, actually, of Henry Ford was in court at a certain point. Why was he in court? Because he was called by a certain newspaper, an ignorant pacifist, and he sued them for libel. And so they were in court having this trial. And the newspaper decided it was going to defend itself by proving how incredibly ignorant this man was. So it would ask him all kinds of questions like, how many soldiers did the British send to, to America to put down the rebellion of 1776? And you know, Ford replies, I can't tell you how many sent, but I can tell you they sent home a lot fewer than, the, than, than, than arrived. And the guy keeps asking them question after question after question. At a certain point, he just gets totally fed up with it. And he says, why are the answers to these ridiculous pieces of common knowledge important? I've got buttons on my desk, which I can push any time I need and get an expert in any area that I need to help me run my business or to answer any ridiculous question you have. So why should I have ridiculous knowledge? I can get somebody to answer that question in two minutes if I actually ever need an answer to that question, but I never will. It's totally unnecessary information. I want to focus on my core business. And therefore, I surround myself with people who are experts in the different areas that I need to draw from. 
and that's really what the original mastermind group was about. If you think about, um, you know, FDR had his brain trust, this group of people that he assembled who could advise him in the presidency. We've been on a number of nonprofit boards over the years and like the ones that are run badly, like Israel requires a nonprofit to have a board to be signing off on the different paperwork. And the nonprofits that we find are not run so well are those that have boards of the friends and fans of the CEO or founder who just sign off and it's just a, whatever the person wants to do, they'll sign off on to fulfill the government's requirements that a board member has signed these documents, has signed the budget, all of those things. The ones that run really well assemble groups of people with expertise where the CEO or leader really is lacking in. And they know that I need somebody that I can turn to whenever I've got a tax question. So I need a tax person. I need somebody who's really strong in social work. I need a social worker there who's a really experienced person here. I know some, need somebody who's great in business administration. Let me get an MBA person who's had a lot of years running business. And let me assemble a group of people around me who can advise me on what I need to know. You know, a lot of companies have boards of directors and those, again, some use them well, some don't use them well. But this is the original concept of the mastermind group. Not that there's a group of people helping each other out, but that you have people that you can turn to to get the advice that you need. Whether you give back to them or not is immaterial. It could be that you've got consultants, people that you pay, and that's what you give back because you just, you've got, you need somebody's expertise and they might not want what you have. They might be incredibly busy. They might not have time for a meeting with you, but you know, there's somebody who's really strong in an area where you know that you are weak and it could be that you pay them a hundred bucks, you know, an hour to be calling them whenever you need advice in that area. And that you start thinking about what are all the areas of my life or my business or whatever it happens to be that you want to be working in that I know I'm periodically need, going to need to call on an expert in that area and that I can do so. And you know, most business people, they have their accountants, they have their tax advisors, they have consultants to different areas. That really fits the original rubric of what a mastermind is, even though we don't think about it that way because it's not a mutual relationship and it's often a paid relationship. But the core of mastermind is, can you access the expertise that you need when you need it? Rather than thinking that you need it all to be in your own head. Are there people you can turn to who are experts who can guide you so that you not being an expert in an area can still make expert decisions and choose an expert path? Incredible. Incredible. We are constantly surrounded by people who know things that we do not. How are we utilizing that and how are we really serving in greater capacities by utilizing the people that we have access to? Dave, it has been such a pleasure hearing from you, hearing all about this book, your stories, your wisdom. Thank you for sharing with us today. I want to make sure before we sign off that our listeners know where they can find you and what you're up to these days. Absolutely. Anybody can go to thesizeofyourdreams.com and download a free digital copy of the book. And, or if they want the hard copy, you can go to Amazon. Hopefully, the, maybe even by the time this airs, the audiobook will be ready. We're finishing the audiobook right now. And what we're working on right now is, is a couple things. So I rarely only have one writing project going at a time. So we just came out with the cash machine. The cash machine really came from a feeling like 
a lot of the reason we found ourselves in tough economic situations was not because we weren't making enough money, but because we were making stupid decisions with the money we were making. Because we went through all of my years of education, you know, I went all the way through law school. And at no point, not in middle school, high school, college, law school, did I ever learn anything about money. Think about all those years preparing yourself to earn an income. And we never actually learned how to make smart financial choices. I learned calculus. I can't tell you a thing about calculus. But, you know, I never needed it again in my life. But I need money all the time. And I didn't know how to make intelligent choices with it. So we wrote another novel similar to The Size of Your Dreams, all about money called The Cash Machine. And we've been really kind of stepping up, trying to get word out about our books, talking to people, being on podcasts like this one. It's a lot of what we've been doing, writing three new books in two of them in this genre of the size of your dreams and the cash machine. One of them in the biblical, biblical fiction series, The Age of Prophecy, that I've been working on for the past decade plus now. Incredible. Incredible. I remember having met you guys like 17 years ago, you know, a long time ago in Jerusalem. I returned to LA and I remember the first time I saw your book on the shelf of a friend's home and it was just so neat that you're sharing, you know, this biblical wisdom, you have so much to give. You went to law school, you are an ordained rabbi, you've studied money, personal development, you're writing with your wife. It's just, it's just incredible. So I'm going to put your contact information as well as a link to that free download. How awesome is that in the show notes so that everyone can have access and thank you. This has been incredible. It's been such a pleasure. Awesome. How much did you love that episode? How much did you love that interview? I really could listen to Dave talk all day, and I'm so thrilled to be able to share this with you. So I've got all the links in the show notes to get the free download of The Size of Your Dreams. Definitely get yours today. You're going to love it. And I want to remind you about my group's opening. So you can visit my website for all the details. I'm also gonna link some information in the show notes for you about exactly what's what's going on in these groups because I do have some small groups of 12. I have groups specifically for women that are focused on setting specific goals and going through the process of getting inspired, staying inspired, and masterminding this goal together. Additionally, there is a global women's circle of insight. You are serving this world in so many ways and nobody can do it alone. At a time like this one, it has never been more clear to me how we can build each other up with support and connection. So I'm creating a space for exactly this. If you could benefit from a respite from daily overwhelm, time to breathe, become more present, experience guided imagery, you can join us. It's starting this Wednesday, May 6th, and you'll really receive the embrace, motivation, and support of a powerful group that wants you to flourish. So this is not just for business schools. This is about connecting. This is about life. This is about our growth as individuals, our growth as a collective. So definitely visit my website or click on the show notes. There's a link to sign up. You can get a discount and 
You can come once on a Wednesday. This Wednesday the 6th is an open free circle if you've never been before. Or you can sign up to stay all month and really go deep for four weeks in a row. I hope to see you there. And until then, abundant blessings. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you here next time.